We are glad that you're here today. We're continuing a series in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to go ahead and start getting there. We're going to be starting chapter 3 today, if you want to start heading that way. Um, but if you are new with this, let me kind of catch you up to speed so you understand what we're dropping into. And I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to the messages in this series, in order if you can, just kind of catch up and fill in all the gaps. But James... Uh, is writing after you know Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, he returns to heaven. The church begins. God sends the Spirit, and uh, Christians are the the gospel is spreading all over the place. And there are Jewish believers. They are Jews who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That have been spread out all over the place. And he writes this letter to those people that are spread out. Because in their, in their scattering, they have left much of what they understand, know, used to have. They've lost their wealth. They've lost their power, their prestige. They're trying to figure out how to be faithful. They're facing persecution. And he wants them to understand how they are supposed to continue to grow and mature in the face of all of this, how they're supposed to think about the world, how they're supposed to feel about the world and their life, and how they're supposed to behave. And so he's writing to people that he knows have already put their faith in Jesus. So their eternal salvation is not in question in this letter. He's, he's telling them to understand how to grow closer with God. It's important for you to understand that, that what we talk about in this series, this doesn't have to do with whether you have a relationship with God or not. Your behavior, your actions, your words can neither create a relationship with God nor sever your relationship with God. That is by faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ, and then God saves you by his grace. So you put your faith in Christ for salvation and what he did on the cross, and you become a child of God. But then the rest of your life, your, your eternal salvation may be secure, but your life now is at stake with how you live and how you behave. Your relationship with God is at stake. So it really matters how we respond to all the pressure and persecution and all the stuff that's coming in around us. So he wants James desperately, like a, like a shepherd, like a, a pastoral heart, wants them to grow in maturity. So he says, you're facing all this persecution, and you need to make sure, and I'm just going to kind of summarize really, really fast, Cliff Notes version of what we covered so far in the first couple chapters. But you're facing persecution, and what you need to do in order to have joy, and that just doesn't mean like situational happiness, that's a deep-seated confidence that we have. In order to have that, you need to ask God for wisdom. You need to ask Him what you need to do, how you need to be thinking. And when you ask him for wisdom, he's going to give that to you. If you, you want to know how to respond and how to live, you've got to ask him, and he'll tell you. But then you have to take that. You need to receive that with, with meekness, with humility, and then you need to do it. You need to actually put it into practice in your life, which can be difficult. Because, I mean, who would hear from God and then just go and not do it? That's like He said that's like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and immediately walks away and forgets what he looks like. It's ridiculous. No, we need, if we're hearing from God, we need to hear from him, and then we need to do it. We need to put off all the temptations that would come to us, the wisdom that would come from the world, the temptations that would come to us from the world. The temptation for them to grab back at wealth that they once had, to grab back at prestige that they once had. Said, so, no, 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 no. You need to fight off all that worldly wisdom, receive the wisdom from God. You need to not do things in a human way anymore. You need to not judge people the way humans judge people. You need to not judge people based on their outward appearance. He, remember he talked, uh, this wasn't last week, it was two weeks ago, where we talked about giving preferential treatment to somebody based on the way they look on the outside because they were wealthy or they're in nice clothes or because they have power or position or they're a celebrity or famous or whatever. He said, no, no, no. And treating someone more poorly, and this is the real problem, treating someone poorly because they don't have those things, because you don't think that they can give anything back to you. No preferential treatment. 
So you've got to learn to look at people the way that God looks at people. And everyone is the same in God's eyes. We are sinners who need to be saved by Jesus Christ that he wants a relationship with, and he doesn't favor one person over another person. So we need to put off all of that worldly stuff. And then last week, he talked about the, the, the relationship of faith and works. Okay, so you say you have faith in God. You've asked for this wisdom. You're trying to put on his heart and mind. Okay, but if you, do, if you say you have faith, but you don't have actions to back it up, that faith is worthless. It's useless. It's hollow. It has no profit. And so we want our life to be profitable, not in a human sense, but in a spiritual sense. So he's laying all this out, and James does kind of move around a little bit here and there, and he has separate ideas in what he writes, but there is an overarching theme of what he's trying to get at. It's learning how to be like Christ, how to live like Christ, think like Christ, talk like Christ. And so this week, I know that in your groups, you talked about how to actually put that into practice. You said faith without works is dead. Well, what do these works look like? What should the profit of our life look like? And you, you fleshed that out in your groups this week. But as I was reading and preparing for this next section, when we get into James chapter 3, it became clear to me that one of the key things that James understands that we need to understand is that we're thinking about our works, we're thinking about our actions and our behaviors being consistent with our faith, that it actually, our works actually don't start with our hands or our feet. Our works start with our mouths. It's our mouths, the words that we say are actually our greatest works. And they will ultimately lead our hands and our feet as well. What we say matters. And it needs to be consistent with what we believe and truthful to what we believe. It, just like our works, he said, what does it profit if you say you have faith but you don't have works? Our words are supposed to have a profit. And our words do have a profit whether we like it or not. They have an effect they have an influence. So I want you to think about, think about this. If you can flip to the other side, of course, we're going to talk about today about our own words, okay, what we say. We're going to talk about what's coming out of our mouth. But I want you to flip over to the other side of the equation for a moment, and I want you to think about how powerful and how impactful words have been to you in your life. Think for a moment about some of the words that have been said to you in your life. The ones that had a huge impact on you. Sometimes those words were tremendously encouraging and positive. Maybe more often than not, those words were destructive in your life. What we say has power. What we say has influence. I had a friend, um, man, he life up, okay? He just absolutely blew his life up, built things, and they exploded on him. He was so driven and so, uh, so, to the, to, the, to the detriment of his character was driven. And his whole life, and he would tell you this, sometimes without telling you it, but he would tell you explicitly at times, his whole life's drive was built on proving his dad wrong. Because he grew up and his dad told him that he was worthless. He grew up and his dad told him that he was dumb, that he was never going to amount to anything. And those words that were spoken to him became a driving force in his life. And it ran him off the rails because he was so set on proving to his dad, who had told him these things, that his life was meaningful, that he was going to succeed. 
that he drove himself absolutely into the ground, took advantage of other people so he could prove his dad wrong. It's incredible how powerful words can be in our life. So I want you to think about the power that they've had in your life. And then we need to flip ourselves over to the other side of the equation today because we can't control the words that are said to us. But we can control the words that come out of our mouths. Or at least we would like to think that we can control the words that come out of our mouths. It doesn't always work that way. And if we're going to grow in maturity, we need to understand how important this is, how important what we say is. All right, so let's go to James chapter 3. All right, and today, instead of reading it all and then breaking it down, we're just going to go a little bit at a time. We're just going to work our way slowly through uh, the first part of James chapter 3. All right, for those of you that have it, uh, I encourage you to bring Bibles with you, whether that's on your device or, or um, in print form. Uh, but we do have it on the screens for those of you that prefer to read it there. Okay, James chapter 3, uh, start at the very beginning. My brethren, and this, by the way, for James, this phrase, my brethren, indicates a, a not a change of subject because he has an overall change of subject, but kind of a new idea, all right, like a, like a pause, okay? My brethren. And also, uh, it's a term of endearment. He wants us to know he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. Okay, now he's not talking about being a middle school teacher, all right? If you feel passionate about doing that, we need teachers, go ahead and do that, all right? Uh, he is talking about teachers within the context of their Christian fellowship. He's talking about spiritual influence here. And he's saying, be very cautious. Be cautious about having authority or influence when it comes to the things of God, because it will be judged more strictly. Now, this is an interesting thing to look back uh, historically for them because um, they would gather, their gatherings look different than ours, okay? And it's just a, it's a just, you know, style thing. It's just the way we do it. It's not right or wrong. It's just the, you know, what you choose to do, but the method you choose. But uh, they would gather together in their meetings and they would read scripture and there would certainly be people who were prepared to speak about that scripture and people who are elders and other people in the church who would have influence in those gatherings. But in most of their gatherings, it was sort of like an open forum. People could say whatever they wanted to say. A, a total stranger who came in from out of town could stand up in one of their church meetings and share with the group. And so there was an opportunity within their churches to have influence and to be a teacher, even if you didn't have an official position within the church. So it was like, it was like an open floor. And this, this was... Um, this was a source of great encouragement because it allowed for a wide variety of, of ideas and thoughts and experiences to be shared. So there's, there's major good there. But it also opened things up for incorrect teachings or for people to grab at influence and power because they had a platform that they didn't have anywhere else. And all of a sudden they could come into this meeting and people and they could build for themselves a faction of people based on their charisma and their personality. They could gather for themselves followers of their teaching in a way that they couldn't anywhere else in their society. And so it could easily be a magnet for people who wanted to get, get that kind of power for selfish gain or selfish reasons. Or for people to speak up and say things that they that were wrong, that they may even have known were wrong. And he said, you have to be really, really careful. They had a platform here. And I, I really resonate with this because I feel like in today's culture for us, 
we have an environment unlike we've ever had before where anybody can gain a platform. I was, I was having this conversation uh, with a friend recently. We were talking about music, okay? A little bit of a music nerd. He's a little bit of a music nerd. And so we were talking about um, when music was better. Was music better in the, 